family, may I ask, do you always trust those in authority? <laughs> I think we're at an all-time high when it comes to the mistrust we have for those in authority. And, and my philosophy is, I think it starts at a young age. And maybe you have some kids in the house, or as a kid, you can relate. Maybe mom or dad has said some things that you just don't agree with, and maybe you don't even trust. I remember the cell phone conversation. And a third grader thinks they need an iPhone. And a third grader is irate that they can't have it yet, right? In fact, the third grader might even say, when I'm a parent, when I'm a mom or dad, my preschoolers are getting iPhones. You guys don't get it right. You ever have a boss that you disagree with? Someone over you? I remember being a waiter in college. And we were serving hamburgers and steak the type of food where you want to get the temperature right because you ask them, like, what the temperature is. And whenever we got the temperature wrong and they bit into it and it wasn't the right one, I would tell my boss this, and he said, well, did they eat it? I'm like, well, yeah, that's how they found out. Well, it's theirs now. <laughs> and there was nothing more we could do. I didn't agree, friends. <laughs> and those are the light examples. But what about the serious ones? Right now in our society, we're seeing some very serious outrage for those who are in authority. When it comes to what was happening just in Chicago this week, I uh, don't know if you saw uh, this picture and the riot that took place in Grant Park, where unfortunately both police officers and protesters, doesn't matter where you stand, were hurt at the end of this. In Illinois, we've maybe had reason to distrust those in authority. How many of our governors are incarcer incarcerated? We heard of scandals this past week. We see protesters outside Mayor Lightfoot's home uh, doing not enough or not what they want her to do. Is it possible that we're at an all-time high for mistrust and authority? But that would never happen in the church. Would it? It does, doesn't it? It was about a decade ago that the Catholic priest scandal kind of came out and hit the news. And I remember that's when I was starting being a pastor. And when my dad was a pastor, he didn't have to vie for respect. People just respected that position. When I got out, totally different. People kind of like, hmm, can I trust this guy? I, I see what's going on in the news regardless of how little that was representative of clergy. So yeah, it's, it's an age where we don't trust those in authority. But we've come together to talk about God. And first of all, let's just consider his authority. He stands so far above 
any politician, any power, any boss, any parent, like it's not even close the authority that he has, right? In fact, you should read the Bible. It is so fun. In fact, if you're uh, a member at Amazing Love, we often say read your Bible. It's like the best thing you can do. And this past week, I was reading from the book of Daniel, and there was one power of the world. His name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was the chief, the head of the Babylonian Empire. Like big stuff, big name. But not as big as God. In fact, because of his pride, he didn't recognize God. And God did something to him. You want to see what, what happened? This is crazy. If you haven't read this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to knock your socks off. I guarantee it. Because he didn't recognize the authority of God. Look what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. Immediately, oh, that's the picture. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. The biggest power and authority at the time. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claw of a bird. Now, if you like animals, this is crazy that God basically changed him into an animal. Isn't that crazy? In fact, here's that picture. Uh, so you see some of the feathers growing and claws here, uh, an artist's rendition, um, and all because he didn't recognize the authority of God. It was only after he stated that there is a king of kings that isn't him, and a dominion above his own, that his sanity was restored and also his kingdom. So when it comes to authority, it's, it's not even close. The only question is, can we trust the authority that God has? And maybe taking it further, is the one in authority a good one? Well, that's what we've come to discuss. And we are in week three of our series, When Pigs Fly, and we've been seeing Jesus use his authority to drive out demons, to open the eyes of the blind. Uh, he's the God who resurrected himself and, and gives resurrection power. And today we see him turn water into wine. And I'm going to lead with my premise that I'm going to try to prove in our moments together. All right? So my premise is this, and, and it probably comes as no surprise, that the one with supreme power is at the same time supremely good. The one who stands above with all power is better than the best person you've met. More righteous, more good, more loving. You know, I could tell you my own testimony of that. I could give you examples from my life. Um, in fact, even just recently, I I've seen his grace. When people ask me how COVID was, I'm not looking down on those in tough times, but honestly, I've seen his grace in this period. Have you? Um, I've seen his goodness even in spite of unexpected things. A changed plans. Have you seen any of his goodness at all? Like, I have my own testimony about his control used for my good. Um, but better than my testimony, and, and maybe better than yours, is the testimony of the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to turn to. And today we turn to John chapter 2, um, and it's just an incredible account. It's his first miracle. Uh, this is the changing of water into wine. Uh, we're going to read the whole section um, and then unpack it in our time together. Um, and something that we love to do is just honor the authority of the Word of God. So I'm going to invite you to please stand as we hear that word. Um, so here it is. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? We're going to talk about this. The, the scenario, can you, can you understand this? If you have any helicopter parents, this is the, the mother of God kind of helicoptering his moment of ministry. Jesus, I think it just start now. <laughs> and he's saying, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. You can't helicopter this moment. His mother said to the servants, though, do whatever he tells you. We'll talk about that. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drew the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now? Wow. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. If you were here last week, that's what we said was the purpose of his miracles, to reveal his glory. And his disciples believed in him. These are words we get to consider. Before you sit down, could you just say out loud, of course it's good, it's from God. Can you say that to your neighbor out loud? Of course it's good, it's from God. Please be seated. Which, by the way, it always reminds me, like, what was manna like, right? When God is your baker, right? I think it tastes like donuts. That's, that's, I'm sure he's got like a fryer in heaven and, you know, anyway. Would anyone else agree that they uh, struggle making uh, big decisions? Uh, so again, I'm, I'm looking for some vulnerability, not trying to put you on the spot, but raise your hand if you at all struggle making the big decisions in life. Okay, yeah, you're my people. I relate to you. <laughs> Uh, easy decisions, different. For example, if you need some help on what to eat for dinner, where to go to a restaurant, what to do on a weekend even, call me. I'll help you with it. I got opinions for days. That's easy stuff. But the big ones, like what house to buy, what car to drive, what to do with the kids, how many kids to have, these are the things that, that really, you know, you wrestle with. And for me, the experience is that it's not just like a one and done when it comes to big decisions. It is like a process that just kind of grinds over time. And in fact, it affects my spiritual life. Because in my prayer life, I know that when it comes to the big decisions, I, I know what I want from God. I basically want a voice from heaven saying, yes, child, go there. And I'm like, yes, I'd really go there, God, just please tell me. But he doesn't. My experience with God on the biggies is that he allows me to choose and then go through this process of discovery. That on every turn, there's a process of discovery, right? Um, he allows me to choose and then go forward trusting him. I think the best picture of it is kind of a wrestling match. When it comes to big decisions and even my prayer life, I'm reminded of uh, this picture of Jacob wrestling God all night. 
and maybe some of you know this story, that all night he was just wrestling with God when God, in a moment, um, could have ended the match. And so sometimes I think there are these times where, spiritually speaking, uh, whether it be a decision or otherwise, that you are allowed to wrestle with him. And, and who knows what I'm talking about? You've been allowed to wrestle with God. The reason I bring this up is because what I see in the lesson is a wrestling match. Make no mistake about it. Mary comes to Jesus. She has a very simple problem that probably needs a simple solution. She comes to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. Which, by the way, is a really good prayer. God, here's what's needed. And here's what I think Mary wants. Mary wants Jesus to take on the spirit of vanilla ice and ice ice baby and say, if there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Or, or maybe for us more traditional, uh, wants to take on the spirit from the Ten Commandments, yes, so let it be written, so let it be done, right? I think that's what Mary wants. But it's not what she gets. So Jesus, after hearing this, says this in response. And this is a different translation. Uh, I use the EHV, which is a translation our synod put together. And this was closer to the Greek, actually, this phrase as I was translating. Woman, what does this have to do with you and me? Mom, you're helicoptering my moment. <laughs> right? We, we don't need to be concerned about this issue. And, and then he says, my hour has not yet come. And so the wrestling match from this point ensues, even though God knows what God's going to do. And Mary is a pro wrestler when it comes with God. If you want to learn how to wrestle, you've got to take note of what she does. And perhaps the reason she knows how to wrestle with God is she's raised God's son for 30 years. More than anyone else, perhaps Mary knows a little about God. Just think of all the times he would ha she would have had to observe him with the brothers. How many times he was good when they weren't, right? Think of the, the notes she had on who God was in 30 years of walking with the Son of God. And in her pro wrestling, she gives us a tip. And that tip is to expect something good. When you are wrestling with God, her tip, expect good from God. It's who he is. And we know that from what she says. Because even though this sounds like a no to me, I don't know what it does to you. She says this. Do whatever he tells you. Like Mary, like, didn't, didn't you just hear what he said? Pretty much said no. But she's like, no, no, no. Do what he says. He's going to do something. He's going to be good. I know it. I just know he's going to be good. Right? I might be a bad mom in this moment, but he's always good. You know, Luther had a wonderful commentary on this interaction, and I wanted to share it with you. It was all about the faith of Mary, and it said this, how harsh his words sounded, how unpleasant his attitude, and yet she doesn't interpret all that in her heart as a show of anger against his goodness, but remains firm in her mind that he must be good. He must be good. So this is the first takeaway for us. When you're in your next wrestling match with God, 
And he doesn't answer right away, and it doesn't get easier right away, and there's another turn on the corner. You know what faith does? It fights to believe that God is still good. That regardless of the scenario staying the same, regardless of even a harsh response, I didn't hear anything, I'm going to believe that you're good. Our perception of God makes a difference. In fact, what if you perceive God as an angry clerk? Have you ever been in a customer service scenario where you know going to a certain clerk, you're going to get the wrong response or the wrong treatment? Have you ever deduce that in line because you can see what's happening? I can tell you a story. Um, <laughs> we were taking our kids to the airport. They were seeing their grandparents, and they were flying alone for the first time. And so we were able to take them to the gate, but didn't know that only one parent was supposed to be there to go to the gate, not two. And I was the one signed up. And some of you know this as parents, dad compared to mom is mincemeat in this scenario. <laughs> I am not the one that needs to go and drop him off at the gate. So we are hoping that we're going to find a clerk who is receptive to our needs of nurture for the, the girls. And as we get into line, there is this one clerk who is having a day. Like, she is loud. She is telling customers how they are wrong. She's, she actually took someone with their bag, walked over to the bag sizer, and, and, and watched if it fit, and, and took stuff out. I mean, just having a day. And so we're like, please, not that clerk. There's no way, babe, that you're going to go to the gate if we get that clerk. But there was another one. Oh, and she was kind, soft-spoken, nice smile, kind of meek even. And that's the one we got, and we went to the gate. <laughs> Who is God to you when you need to bring a request? Is he an angry clerk in the sky? Is he someone who would treat you this way and just look at you like, what are you doing? Or does he have a kind face and wanting to hear you and be good? You know, it's interesting, at the end of Jacob's wrestling match, this is what happened at the very end. They were wrestling all night, and Jacob held on to the goodness of God and basically said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I'm going to hold on to the idea that you are good and you want good for me. And in that moment, his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And maybe you've heard of the Israelites. He was blessed. Because he expected. So how are you doing with the wrestling match? Some of you might be in the midst of a transition going back to school, making decisions, and, and you can't see the end of this transition. It's impossible to see. Do you believe he's good? H have you ever prayed and the prayer doesn't come on your timeline? Have you ever prayed and the situation is still a struggle? And if a perfect faith was a prerequisite to salvation, how many of us could stand? Because how many times, I, I know in myself, don't I believe, God, did you hear that one? Like, I'll say it again, but I'm pretty sure you heard, like, 
Why didn't it change? God, like, this is hard. Are, are you mad? Are, are you good? And our spiritual struggle actually goes back to the very first struggle over God. When it came to Adam and Eve in the garden and they were tempted by the devil, the devil told them that God is a holdout. He doesn't want good for you. He knows if you eat of the tree, your eyes will be open. And so God, he's not good. In fact, the devil's biggest lie is this. God is not good. And the question I have for you, are you going to believe the devil or the word of God? Because Adam and Eve fell into sin. But God was supremely good. He sent a Savior who had crushed the devil and reversed the curse of sin. And I want you to know that same God exists, a God who gives us good things, a God who gave his son over to death that we might have eternal life. The epicenter of the goodness of God is the cross of Jesus from which flows peace and joy and forgiveness and a new status. And if our God was willing to send his son to death, why would he stop being good right now? Why would he stop giving us exactly what we need when we need it? Paul picked up on this when he said in Romans chapter 8, Indeed, he who didn't spare his own son, which if you're a parent is a remarkable idea to give up your child. If he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? And sometimes it even means the little things like water into wine. What is that compared to the resurrection of the dead? But God says, all right, you asked for it. Something you didn't know if you're new to Christ or just joining us is that God is good and he wants good for you. You have forgiveness through the cross. So how far does that goodness go? I want to draw that out a little bit in our time before we go. I have three ideas about the goodness of God before we go. And uh, as, as he turns water into wine, to, to kind of set that up for you, um, I, I brought a, a show-and-tell item this morning. Um, this is a uh, green bucket, which, as you can see, is not very clean, uh, because inside uh, is a shovel, um, our gardening gloves, uh, this is a bucket that we fill with weeds. Do you have something like this? And uh, I want you to imagine a scenario that uh, I invited you over for a barbecue. So I'm grilling out and I'm putting some good stuff on the grill. We got hamburgers and brats and steak and it's just amazing, right? And then you see me take my weed bucket, bring it in the kitchen. Maybe I'll rinse it out a little bit. and I fill it up with uh, water and now I use lemonade mix. I put lemonade mix in it. Put some lemons in it too, freshly squeezed. And then I start drawing out from the lemonade bucket, do you want some lemonade? Are you confident that this is going to be good lemonade? Or are you maybe skeptical that you're going to have some dirty water, that it's not going to taste so good? Uh, you, you might be afraid of eating dirt, right? Which I hear is maybe good for you though, like there's benefits to eating dirt. I, I don't know. But regardless, you'd be maybe thrown off of the quality of the lemonade from where it came from, yes? Agreed? 
I bring this up because what does Jesus choose to use? Now, one of the things he could have done is he could have had a wine set up that marveled Cooper's hawk. Like, he could have made them look like bootleggers compared to what he set up in like an instant. But what does he choose to do? Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing. What does that mean? This is feet water, friends. You know the thing we use to clean feet? Fill her up. And he doesn't even say clean it out. Fill it to the brim. Here we go. And maybe it's why the, the John, as he records the lesson, says the, the master of the banquet didn't know where it came from. Because <laughs> he wouldn't want to know. <laughs> this came from the dirty feet water bucket. Thank you very much. Great wine. You'd never expect the best of the best coming from that. But this is exactly how good God is. Because God, in his goodness, his miracle is using unclean vessels to display his very best. And some of you may know I'm no longer talking about wine. I'm talking about you and me. I'm talking about all the insecurities we have over being used by God. Who am I? I know everything inside of me. Why would God? How could God? I'm so dirty. You know, I had a buddy who posted on Facebook that he was celebrating 14 years of the ministry. And then under that uh, kind of celebration, he used this verse. It, it comes off of the, the jar of clay's dialogue, or, or jars of clay dialogue. Uh, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Basically, he's saying, there's only dirt in me. There, there's nothing in me that, that would make anyone marvel. But competence comes from God. He's able to use the dirty things and bring out his best. He's able to use the foolish things to shame the wise. He's able to take fools and make others marvel at his power and his wisdom. That's what God does. And I need to remind you, he is not limited by your lack. And he's not put off by however dirty you are on the inside. The Spirit can clean that and use that and draw out the very best. But the other thing that caught my attention was how much wine he made. So we got six jars that hold 20 to 30 gallons, and so a rough estimate is that there's 150 gallons of wine, which is the equivalent of 750 bottles of wine. Now, in what party do you need that much wine? Like, I know that weddings lasted a few days in, in, in that time, but at, at what point do you need that much, Right? And here I'm reminded of a couple things. I'm reminded, first of all, that alcohol can be used by Christians. It's not a sin, but there is a line called drunkenness that we need to avoid. So there's a caution in there for me. Um, but, but then I also just marvel at the fact that we have a God who so supersedes ex expectations. Right? He's a God who's not just going to ask Mary, well, how many cups do they need? Right? Rather, this is proof of his goodness, that God in his goodness rarely provides just enough. It is usually exceedingly more. Right? Because we walk into our closets, and as I open the closet, and I say I have nothing to wear, I have plenty to put on. 
And as I open the refrigerator, I say, what am I going to eat? Got plenty to eat. And I'm not looking down on you if you're struggling right now. In fact, if you are online, please reach out to us. If you are here, please reach out to us. But I'm just talking about a general experience with walking with God. It is not scarcity, but rather provision from his grace. And that's what we've seen in our church. Preaching too long, Brian, I'm sorry. But I'm so excited to hear the presentation again. Because we're marveling at his grace. We're marveling that this year during COVID, he didn't just bring enough, he brought more. And we reached more. We, we had about 500 views of every live stream. We averaged that for our daily devotions. There's one of our devotions, this one that was seen 14,000 times. 14,000 views. People who have connected to ministry during this time. How awesome. And then, you know, those are the big potatoes reaching souls. But even when it comes to provision, God did not lack. We had two of our biggest giving months during COVID. And we're going to report that God has been faithful. And God has been good. And he's been using his people to be generous. And so it means we're going to plan. And as we plan boldly, talking about a second called worker, we're not going to plan uh, with, with hearts that say, oh, I'm so afraid, or oh, what, what, what happens? We're going to plan expecting God to be good while also being good stewards. We're going to plan with confidence that we know who God is and we've seen his goodness. But before we go, one final thought. I think what struck me most in all of this lesson was this word from Jesus. Not the first thing he says to Mary, but the second. He said, very literally, my hour has not yet come. Now, as he changes water into wine, was he lying when he said that? Was he lying? Do you think he was lying? I don't think so. God is not a liar. He has made that abundantly clear. Another thing you should know, he's not wishy-washy and fickle. He's not like, oh, no, not God. In fact, I remember this from the Old Testament. There was a king named Hezekiah, and God showed up to Hezekiah and said, put your things in order, you are going to die. You're not going to heal from this disease. And yet Hezekiah, he did what? He prayed. And he cried. And the Lord heard him. And the Lord responded to Hezekiah this way. He said to prophet Isaiah, go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord says. The God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And so what we see is that God is not fickle. But we do see the power of our prayers. We see the power of going to God and saying, God, we need you. God, come to fruition. God, come through for us. We know you're good. And so when it comes to prayer, God in his goodness is not bothered but often bends to our requests. I wonder in how many scenarios was something going one way and then prayers led it a different direction. God loves to hear from his kids and as a good father, he loves to give good things. Will we take him up on the opportunity of prayer? Because he's the good clerk.
not angry at you. He may allow you to wrestle, and this will be for your good. But what I think you will find is that he, with all power, is all good at the same time. 